following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you had just one chance to encourage a struggling church, one letter to boost their spirits, what would you say? What would you say? Would you say, just keep going, fight through, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's always darkest before the dawn. Or, you know, my friend's church had the same problems, same struggles, and this is what they did, right? What would you say? See, Paul had this opportunity. He doesn't choose a cheesy hallmark phrase, or he doesn't um, pull out his desk calendar and like flip through, and oh, this, this phrase will be great for, for them. Instead, he chooses to remind them of what God has done for them. Why? Why this? Remember our context as we're reading through the book of Colossians. Remembering this is a young church much like yourselves, right? a church plant, but they're struggling. Right? There's good things happening on, on, on one side, but the other side, all these people around them are, are, are fighting. There's, there's some heresy happening there where people aren't believing the truth of the gospel or they're taking Jesus and saying, well, yes, Jesus plus a few extra things here. Right? They're saying that it's not just Jesus. So you have this community, and, and they're standing out in a struggling city, right? Because you have these people who have hope suddenly. These people who are loving each other in community in such a way that it's, it's kind of bubbling outside of them. Right? What does a hopeless, frustrated, unbelieving world do to people like this? People who bring hope and, and love and excitement to the world. They tear it down! Right, they attack it, they mock it, they ridicule it, they create memes on the internet and, and Facebook, and they, and they post things about it, and they say, look at what these people are doing, this isn't real, this is fake. Even those who are interested in their message, even those who are, are or maybe like believe it to some, uh, to some extent, they're twisting the gospel, they're mixing in their own folk beliefs, distorting the truth. There's great success, but there's attacks on all sides. How do you suppose the faithful brothers and sisters in this church felt? Or maybe a better question, how do you feel in the midst of this? See, our world isn't much different from these believers. You probably are coming in today feeling a lot of that anxiety, feeling a lot of that stress and pressure, feeling a lot of those attacks. You you watch the news, listen to any podcasts, read any articles, talk to coworkers, try to live out your life and faith. You're besieged on all sides. It's not even just the world around us, it's our world like within us here, right? We have family issues. 
marriage struggles, kids breaking your heart, job frustrations, job loss, broken relationships, sickness, trust issues, money issues, on and on. We are being pelted from all sides. So how do we feel in the midst of this? I think a few things we feel. We feel, we feel doubt. Right? We feel doubt. Do I, do I know enough of the Bible? What if I mess up? What? Can I really love this person? I don't know if I can. Can I really be an MC leader? <laughs> I think we also feel fear. What will my coworkers think when they find out I believe in Jesus? Should I even tell them? I should just hide. I think you also feel anger. It's not fair. I'm trying to do the good, the good right thing, but I'm, I'm suffering for it. And look at them across the street, they're not doing anything right, and they're being rewarded for it. It's not fair. We feel sadness. Maybe this isn't working out like you thought it would. There's very real emotions in the midst of trying times. Now, what happens, though, is that it draws our focus off of Jesus towards those feelings in our despair. So why does Paul remind this church of what God has has done and continues to do? To lift their gaze heavenward. To refocus their attention. To draw their focus back on the true reality they've lost sight of. See, in the midst of all this struggle and pain and emotion, God's still at work. That even though you don't feel it, you come in today just threadbare and worn, the gospel is still true. What I think Paul is trying to convey today uh, to this church and to us today is that the gospel isn't a feeling that we feel. It's not a feeling we feel. It's not something that ebbs and flows with our emotions, with our doubt and fear and anger and sadness. It's not that at all. Rather, it's a true reality that we simply embrace, that we can grab hold of, that we can stand on as a strong, firm foundation. That it's Jesus over everything because God has enabled it to be so. God has allowed Jesus to be over everything because he's taken care of it. See, in this passage, Paul uses provocative spiritual language to describe a very practical, nuts and bolts reality of the gospel. And I think what he does here, he reveals three ways that God enables the gospel to be a true reality that we can embrace. He says that God delivered us from the domain of darkness that God has transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved Son, and that God has redeemed us through Jesus. So let's explore that today here, starting with our first part of Colossians 1, chapter 13, or I'm sorry, verse 13. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. Now this is familiar language. This is Exodus language. You look back in the book of Exodus and the story of Israelites, uh, these were people, God's people, that were stuck uh, in slavery and bondage to the Egyptians. What started out as a, as a foray for food and uh, a time of famine caused them to get stuck in Egypt 
enslaved by the Pharaoh uh, for hundreds of years. And in this moment, in in, in these hundreds of years, the people of God were pleading for him, God, please help us. Moses, on their behalf, is saying, rescue us, please. You said you would deliver us. Help us here. And God, in keeping with his covenant and his promises, he plans not only to deliver Egypt, or Egypt, Israel from Egypt, but also to take them into the promised land, into something new. And not only into a new land, but into new life, into a new culture, new relationship, they would become the people of God once again. But first, to get them out of slavery, God had to rescue them from slavery. God had to deliver them from the evil Pharaoh, from the domain of the Egyptians. He had to rescue them uh, from the domain of darkness. And that's how it starts with us. Now, this domain of darkness, this is some, again, that spiritual language, very provocative. It sounds so eerie, but it's a very real reality in our world today. Uh, this is not a physical place or a kingdom. You aren't going to go find a domain of darkness castle somewhere, like in Disney World. It's not there. Um, but it's the kingdom of sin that is in our world today. It's where the selfish, rebellious will of man rules. It's where shame and pride are the currency of self-worth and value. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 18 through 19 kind of paints a picture for us of what it's like to live in this domain of darkness. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This is a people who have turned away from God and in their hardened hearts seek out uh, all kinds of stuff for themselves. Now in this domain, it's governed by evil authorities and chief among them is Satan. From the very beginning, Satan has worked to deceive and harm humanity. You can look at the very beginning of Genesis with Adam and Eve, Satan as a serpent comes and tries to distract Adam and Eve from the truth. He says, hey, you can be like God. What you're feeling there, that's you wanting more. And you know how you can get more? Just go against God here. Take of the fruit, eat of it, and you will be like God even. Fills their head with doubt. Fills their head with this idea that They can find value and self-worth apart from God. Just become like God here. Satan encourages the selfish, rebellious will. He stokes the flames of pride in them. But ultimately, he leaves them in shame. It says there that uh, though they were naked at the time, once they eat of this fruit and they sin against God, suddenly they realize, oh, I need to cover myself. I need to hide myself away. See, this is what sin does to us. When we sin, it takes hold of us. We feel shame. We fight for self-worth. We want to feel like we're valuable, right? But ultimately, it leads us to more sin. And it leads to more shame and more pride and more of a fight against God and more sin and so on and so on. The cycle continues. It enslaves us, much like the Israelites were enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt. We are enslaved by the domain of darkness, 
The, the domain that says, you aren't worth it, so go find it. Go find your worth. This domain holds us like chains hold us in bondage. This is the harsh reality. While we, li- while we live here on earth, we live in the domain of darkness. It's around us. It's here. The question is, can we av- not if we can avoid it, but rather, does it hold power over us? So here's what I think is interesting about the domain of darkness. What I believe to be true. No one likes it. No one likes it. I mean, generally speaking, I said in this room, I bet no one here would say, yeah, I like the domain of darkness. Right? That's, that's, a, that's a given. But I think Christians, even non-Christians, the good guys, even the bad guys, they have a sense that this domain of darkness isn't right. This doesn't feel right. I don't like what's going on here. Right? The rebellion and shame that darkness brings us causes everybody to seek out some kind of remedy. I need to fix this. I don't like how this feels. Now, the difference is that we all approach this differently. We approach that remedy differently. Uh, we don't like the domain of darkness, so we've got to solve this problem. Some of us think, I'm going to go as far away from it as possible. Some say, I'm going to go like, as far into it as possible. Maybe I can find something else, some kind of meaning for myself in the midst of this. So I'm just going to sin, and maybe I'll feel better at the end. We all either actively work to avoid it or we sink into it, but we all do something. And I think there's three main paths that we end up taking to to approach this, this issue of the domain of darkness. The first is this. We deal with our shame, but not our rebellion. We deal with our shame, but not our rebellion. In this, in, in this what we do is we say, well... I don't want to feel shame, so I'm just going to turn it off. I'm going to turn off my shame. I'm going to turn that shame into pride and self-worth. It's not sin. You deserve it. That's good. Friday night. Live it up. You're perfect just the way you are. You were born perfect, and you are growing up to be still perfect. Amazing. Perfect the way you are. It's not wrong if it doesn't feel wrong. Right? George Costanza, it's not a lie if you believe it's true. Right? Right? Just turn off the shame. Essentially, if I don't feel shame, then it can't be wrong. In this mode of dealing with it, we say, well, I'm not going to turn off the shame. Uh, I'm rebellion. I'm just, I'll just embrace it. Whatever. I'm focused instead on avoiding shame at all costs. It's saying that I'm great. I don't need to ask for forgiveness. I never needed to. I'll just do what I want. No one can say otherwise because uh, I'm my own person and you can't tell me what to do. In this path, Jesus is basically mocked outright, ignored, as having little value in your life. Now, that's one way of dealing with the domain of darkness. The second way I think we do it is we deal with the rebellion, but not our shame. This is something I think a lot of Christians face. We believe that Jesus died for our sins, that he, we tame our rebel heart uh, through the gospel, but we still carry shame. We still allow shame to speak truth in our life. 
You know, it's saying, like, I mean, I'm really trying hard to be a Christian. It's not working out. <sighs> I'm not praying enough. I'm not reading my Bible enough. I don't go to MC enough. I don't go to church enough. I'm not serving enough. I'm not living my faith out outside of church. I'm not talking about Jesus. It's just, it's not enough. Here in this mode, in this mindset, we live in a world between God's kingdom and the domain of darkness. One foot in, one foot out. We acknowledge that we can't stay in the domain of darkness. We can't allow the domain of darkness to have power over us, but we're not sure we can truly leave. What if I'm not good enough? What if I mess up and ruin it all? What if God won't take me back? That shame and pride we use as currency is still valuable here. I've got to make sure I'm doing everything right so I feel good about myself. It's an untenable position, but one that many of us are stuck in. Still giving power to the domain of darkness. So the only way out is the third path. This is the path where we deal with our rebellion and our shame. We take our rebellion and shame. We acknowledge that Jesus is not only enough, but he's over everything. We acknowledge that the only one who can give us value and self-worth is Jesus. That we've got nothing left to prove God on our own. We can never match up. Rather, God makes a way for us through Jesus. Here we acknowledge that God alone delivers us from the domain of darkness. That we don't find our way out. We don't uh, get a big torch and walk our way through the domain of darkness until we get out the other side like some Indiana Jones movie or something like that. No. What we do is we acknowledge that God alone makes a way for us. And we can't touch that. We can't ruin that. Our rebellion and shame have no match for that. We can surrender that to God because God delivers us. That through Jesus, who left the throne to join our side, who stands shoulder to shoulder with humanity, took on our sin, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and is currently seated at the right hand of the Father, that through Jesus, we've been set free, delivered out of the domain of darkness. And in that, the bondage of slavery that the domain of darkness has on us, it's broken. The chains are broken. That though we share a world, the man in darkness, it has no power over us. This is the true reality that we embrace. That we are forever delivered from the domain of darkness. When you believe in Jesus, you are forever delivered from that domain of darkness. Though we feel and see darkness around us, we can always return to the truth of our deliverance. That though our our minds and hearts and emotions try to betray us and, and point out the despair and say it's too much, that though those things try to betray us, the truth of our deliverance uh, anchors us, gives us firm ground to stand on. See, when Paul says that you're qualified to share in the inheritance, which he says in the verse before this, he says so because God Himself has delivered us out of sin, He's broken the chains. But not only has he delivered us, he's brought us to something new. This is super important for us. He didn't just say, oh, here's the door, uh, step on, stepping out of the domain of darkness and good luck to you. It's cold out there, put a coat on. Rather, he delivers us 
out of darkness into something new. The next verse, or the, the, last, the rest of verse 13 says, he transfers us into the kingdom of the beloved son. Now when God delivered Israel out of Egypt, he, taught, he brought them to the land that was promised to them. They were no longer under the rule of the evil, uh, tyrannical Pharaoh, but under the rule of a good, loving father, free from slavery and bondage to evil. And it's there that he establishes the new covenant, crafted a new identity for his people, made them his people once again. He delivers the Ten Commandments, rules for living that brought life in a new way. This is how the people of God live now. This is how you as a people of God in Israel are going to be under God. See, when God rescues us out of the domain of darkness, he transfers us into this new kingdom under new management. It's Jesus. There we live as new people in new life. While the domain of darkness operates in this rebellion and shame, life in the new kingdom operates in obedience and freedom. See, we enjoy the freedom that deliverance provides us while also being obedient to the new king. Now, these, these concepts are kind of competing a little bit. How can you be free while still being obedient? See, I have two kids. I have a, a six and eight-year-old, both girls. And this past week, it was sunny, finally. We saw the sun. And they were driving me crazy. I said, you can't be inside our house anymore. You just need to go out somewhere. Just go. <laughs> As I said, go in the front yard. Uh, just, there's a street there. Don't go into the street. All right, that's all. Just don't go into the street. And uh, so that's what I said. And, and the garage door opens, and it shuts. And I heard this. Nothing. It was quiet. Woo, it was quiet. Parents in here can rejoice when it's quiet. And I'm, I'm sitting down, I, I put the chair, chair back, legs up, I'm, I'm going to grab a book to read, and uh, I glance out the, the front window to, to look at my children fondly and, and smile at them, and uh, just thankful that they're not in the house. And as I look out there, I see them come into view, and they're carrying these big tools from my garage. I'm like, what are you doing? Whoa! And they're like, oh, we're going to go bust up the ice in the grass here, Dad. I got the broom handle. I got, they're, they're hitting the ice and all my tools. I'm like, whoa! Whoa, 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 whoa! I said, well, Dad, you just said not to go in the street, so that's all you said. So we're just going to go out here and we're good, Dad. I'm like, no, 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 no. Okay, I'm sorry. Here's some more explicit instructions. Don't go in the street and please don't use tools to excavate the front yard. That's all. I, you can do everything else. Everything else is good. I should have said something to keep everyone alive, right? But here's the deal. Good parents, I think, they say, go and be free and play, but they also provide these, these kind of healthy guardrails so that uh, kids aren't harming like, the, their physical selves or like, their emotional, relational self. Like, there's some protection there, <laughs> right? Um, in many ways, what God has done is says, I want you to flourish and be free but here's some healthy guardrails. See, when we think of freedom, we think of things like, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. All right? I'm free to, uh, to 
my money is my money, so let it ride. Whatever I want to spend it on, this is great. My body, my rules, my career, no holds bar. Here we go. But freedom in this way, if we crave this kind of freedom, what it does is actually leads us back into slavery. It leads us back into bondage because what happens is when we live life like that, no, no rules, no guardrails, what it does is it causes us to, to fall back into, I need these things to be valuable, to have self-worth. So in your freedom, you are once again beholden to these things. So when you believe in the gospel, you're delivered out of slavery into the new kingdom. You've got a new boss, new life, new culture. Right? God, through his word, gives us these healthy guardrails to ensure maximum flourishing in our life. It's not like the, the tyrant of the Pharaoh. It's not like the Pharaoh who's, who's saying, this is how you're going to live because I want to, to profit from it. It's instead a loving father looking to give life to his fullest. So that the only way we can truly be free is to fully submit ourselves to God. And we can do that because God enabled it by transferring us into this kingdom. See, in Jesus, we have a new identity we can embrace and live out of. That in every circumstance, every season, in all waves of doubt, fear, anger, and sadness, we can live and embrace this identity, knowing that God has enabled it to be possible. There's one final piece that makes all of this possible. We have been redeemed. So the last verse is Colossians 1, verse 14. It says, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, in, in Israel, with, the, with Egypt, God's final move of redemption required a sacrifice. See, this isn't God flexing his muscles, saying, look what I can do. Rather, God redeems them out of Israel. We see this in the Passover. Israel was required to sacrifice a lamb painting its blood over its door frames, signifying that death has already come to this house, so skip over it. God then pours out his wrath on the dominion of darkness, Egypt, and as a result, sets Israel free. So God redeems Israel, but at a cost. See, there's a real cost involved in our redemption. This isn't a get-out-of-jail-free situation. The only way we can be rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to a new kingdom is through redemption. He's redeemed us at a cost, and that cost was paid for by Jesus. And as a result, we can share in the full blessing of membership in the kingdom. And the chief blessing among them all is that our sin has been dealt with. We've received the forgiveness of sins. For those who accept and believe the gospel, your sins have been forgiven. Now, this isn't to say that you won't struggle with sin in the future, that you won't be impacted by sin around you. As we live in that period of the already but not yet, that time in between Jesus' death and resurrection and his ultimate return, we are going to experience the work of the domain of darkness around us. It's still living and active. 
But under the gospel and rule of Jesus' kingdom, sin can no longer hold us. Sin can't pull us away from our salvation, for those chains have been broken. When we embrace this true reality, it clarifies where we stand before God. No longer do we live in shame for our sin, but we willingly confess it and surrender it to God. No longer do we wonder if God still loves us, for nothing can separate us from the love of God. When waves of doubt and fear and anger and sadness try to overtake us, this is the solid ground we stand on. You don't have to earn redemption. Simply embrace what has been done for you. Now, Israel's story in Exodus doesn't end with them riding into the sunset, everyone happy as a clam. It doesn't end that way. Israel's been delivered out of Egypt. They're transferred to a new land, redeemed out of slavery, but not a month into their journey to the promised land. Not a month. The people started complaining. Listen to what they say here in Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. The people of Israel wept again and said, Oh, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Oh, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Israel is remembering all the good times they had in Egypt. Slavery. Under rule of a tyrant. They want to go back. They look at where they're at in this moment. They're in the desert. They're on their way there. They're, they're a little bit hungry. That God has given them food and manna, and they feel like it's not enough. i, I got to be back in control. They're saying, we had it so good, all the food, places to sleep. That was real freedom. They look at their struggle, and they, they realize in, in the moment of despair that I I don't know if I can trust this true reality for me now, this new reality that has been given to me, so I, I, I want to go back. See, I haven't really embraced the true reality that God has given them in their redemption. But this is our story. We're a people that's prone to wander. Right? We look at um, the goodness of God and we forget. We turn our eyes away from it. Right? We allow our selfish, rebellious wills to pull us away from the goodness of God. We start to seek our own pleasure. We seek our own remedy. We seek our own salvation. Externally, we may be nice people who do nice things, right? But inside, in those deep places that we're not letting other people see, we're a broken, hurting mess. We've allowed sin to root itself deep within us. And we're saying that Maybe that's okay. Maybe I should go that direction. Maybe I can't give that up to God. This is what Jesus came to redeem. Those places within you. The places that, that, that spur you to go back to the domain of darkness. That say, maybe slavery is not that bad. Those are the things Jesus wants to redeem. The call for believers today is to bring it all into the light. Every last piece Every piece you're terrified to confess and allow Jesus to redeem it. When we try to manage our rebellion and shame, when we say, it's, maybe it's not that bad, maybe, maybe it's okay to do this, 
When we do that, what we're doing is we're wresting control of the gospel out of God's hands. Say, God, I got this one. I'll take care of it here. And we try to make it our own. But to truly embrace the gospel in all its concrete, true reality is to fully surrender our sin. Listen to what Jesus says when we fully shine that light on our sin. This is from John uh, chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. This isn't just for touchdowns, by the way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not want to come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Right, this is logical. Right, here's, here's what it says. Everyone who does evil things doesn't want to come into the light. I'm going to hide myself. I'm going to stay safe where I can control the message. I can control the PR, right? I can hide myself in sin, uh, in my own sin. No one can hear about it, know about it, so I can do whatever I want. I'm going to hide from the light. That makes sense. But then it says that whoever comes to the light, basically what it says is, when you expose yourself to the light more, expose yourself to the truth more, and, and kind of lay yourself bare before Jesus, what it says is that you will see clearly that what's at work here is not you exposing yourself, but Jesus redeeming you. That Jesus is the one who's drawing you into this. And you realize that I'm not in control of this. And that my worth is not on, on my own. That my value here is that this is... This is not on me. This is on Jesus. He is the one doing the work. This is the paradox of the gospel, if you will. The deeper the exposure of your sin to the light and truth, the deeper your experience of the gospel will be. The more the gospel truth exposes your sin, the more you see that Jesus is at work on your behalf. One of our favorite sayings around Sacred City is that the gospel says you're far worse than you ever thought possible. But the love of God is better than you could ever imagine. All right, here's that paradox at work. The gospel exposes you for what you are, but then as you expose yourself in that regard, you see that God loves you that much more. See, when you fully surrender yourself to Jesus, you expose that true self when you come forward and say, here's all my junk, here's the stuff I'm afraid to, to let others know about, here it is, you'll find a God that loves you more than possible. And it leads you to worship and praise and gratitude. But as you worship and praise and you give, offer gratitude to, to, to God for what he's done, what it does is it causes you to surrender even more. Say, like, this feels good. God loves me in the midst of this. So here's more of my life. Here's more of it. 
you want to do this and you want to start doing this, start by just confessing that deeply held sin. Go to God in prayer and say, God, here is, here is me at the core. Yeah, here's all this external stuff, but here's, here's what is driving all of that. Here's what's driving my fear and doubt and anger and sadness. Talk to your MC or a fight club. Talk to one of your pastors. Send a text to a friend. Just expose it. Get it into the light and see how God would work in that. To the non-believer today are those who are struggling to believe. The world says, when it comes to evil and darkness, deliver yourself. Deliver yourself. Figure it out. When it comes to the kingdom, it says, build your own kingdom. Find your self-worth. Find your value. Do what you can to, to make it happen. You probably know this, but this is exhausting. You may be here today utterly exhausted. You may be sick and tired of that life, that treadmill that never ends. It never ends because you'll never actually get there. You can't deliver yourself. You can't build your own kingdom. See, the good news today is that God has already done these things for you. And way better than the world would ever think possible. His invitation is not to build for yourself, but rather to come. To turn away from your sins. Surrender your rebellion and shame to him. And experience the true deliverance. Experience true life in the kingdom of Jesus. Experience true redemption for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. See, we can make Jesus over everything possible because God has enabled it to be possible. To you sitting today struggling or hurting and pain and doubt, fear and anger and sadness, this is how we find comfort. That God sits above it all and he invites you to embrace this true reality of his victory and your deliverance and redemption. See, the gospel isn't a feeling that comes and goes, that ebbs and flows with the times, but an unwavering, unfaltering true reality. Jesus isn't calling you today to feel your bones and just pick yourself up. He's calling you to surrender your life to him. He's calling you to embrace this reality that surpasses all feeling and emotion. It's true, it's real, and it's forever. So as we come to the table today, let's be reminded of that reality. That no matter what you're faced with today, no matter what is pulling you down, no matter what is, is causing you despair and causing you to turn away from God, that doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. The gospel is less, less true. Rather, it's even more true that you can step onto that firm ground and turn your eyes heaven, towards heaven and say, God has got this. God has delivered me. God has transferred me. God has redeemed me. Remember as we go to the table that Jesus has poured himself out for you, that the forgiveness of your sins, that you can embrace this reality and receive that new life in the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you that uh, in spite of ourselves, in spite of our, 
our, our, our attempts to sabotage the truth of the gospel, Lord, that you stand above all those things. Lord, that you, you invite us to, to embrace what you have done for us, Lord, that we can't mess it up, we can't diminish it in some way, but Lord, we can simply surrender to it and embrace it even more. So Lord, help us to see that today in our own lives. Help us to see those, those places where we haven't surrendered, Lord, where we've tried to um, mask our shame in some ways. Help us to expose that to the light. Lord, help us to see um, that the more we expose ourselves to the truth and to the light, the more we see you at work on our behalf. So Lord, help us to embrace that reality and may you be glorified in all that we do. Yes, Lord.